thing. What is happening to it? You know why you do it. You don't do it because you get paid well. You don't do it because men love you. You do it because you love men and because more than that, you want to honor God. This is Protestia tonight. Hello, thank you for listening to Protestia tonight for March 28th, 2023. This is the program that we hope will be glorifying to God, convicting the sinners, and edifying to the saints. A program with sincere questions and biblical answers. I'm your host, David Morrill, for the team of troublemakers at protestia.com and other allied online discernment and polemics ministries. Um, We do the work of basically separating the truth of God's Word, hopefully uh, from the false versions of God's Word that you hear out there. Um, And this program is brought to you by our intrepid patron supporters, who for only $5.95 a month get to support what we do here on the program on a financial level. Of course, this program is for loving, giving, serving, faithful members of local New Testament congregations. And we encourage you, if you are not a member of a local church, this is not the program for you. You will only take the information that uh, um, that we provide here and use it to isolate yourself further or potentially harm a church you might go to or whatnot. The information we give here is for the edification of the local church. Um, I will be doing a podcast, hopefully sometime this week, uh, a Bully Pew podcast, talking specifically about how to approach the pastors at your church if you have an issue, if you have a problem with something that they've said uh, from the pulpit, something the church is doing, and it's and it's something that's, um, you know, kind of underneath direct heresy. You know, we're not talking about denying the Trinity from the pulpit, uh, but we're also not talking about I don't like the color of the carpet or something like that. But the stuff that's in between, the stuff that kind of can be in a gray area and how you can lovingly approach your pastor as a brother or sister in Christ um, in in a way that uh, really is speaking truth and love. Uh, hopefully that podcast will be released sometime this week on Protestia's Bully Pew podcast, which you can access and import the RSS feed and all that by going to protestia.com and clicking on the live and podcast menu link. You'll see all of the partner podcasts, including that one. Um, but anyway, this program and Protestia as a whole and all of that um, needs your direct support if you can lend it or offer it to keep this work going. If this is something that benefits you, that you believe in, that uh, is a blessing to you, your family, your community, your church, I've heard um, um, yet unverified reports, but I've heard that there are churches around the country that uh, use Protestia articles to keep their congregations informed of what's going on in the broader Christian conversation, which is, it's always a good thing. Polemics and, and discernment ministry has its place. It's not something that you should just um, only be doing or the only part of, of you know, your Christian walk or your edification or something like that. It, it belongs alongside other things that you would study and be focused on and um, be using for your edification as you, we all uh, continue our progressive sanctification and grow closer to the the character of uh, Jesus Christ. This is just one of the ways that that can be done. Tonight on the show, we're going to be talking about uh, kind of three topics. The, the First of all, apparently on Twitter, I'm still Rod Martin and I can't change it yet. So those of you that might follow me on Twitter, converse with me over there where the, the real uh, you know fights and the battles happen. 
uh, might be a little confused right now because uh, there's no picture of me or, or, or name of me even at my Twitter handle. I'm still Rod D. Martin. I will explain why and how that happened, what the purpose was here first. We'll talk about that a little bit. Um, then we're going we're gonna to have a discussion about what the Bible says about the wife being the, the quote-unquote breadwinner of the house while the husband stays at home and takes care of the kids because apparently people still haven't figured out what the Bible teaches about that. Uh, we're gonna, so we're going to have that discussion and use a few examples. Of course, we will bring scripture to bear on all of that. Um, we will also be talking about, and this is kind of the main topic that I wanted to talk about tonight, this, this, this pattern, it seems. I've seen this now three times, specifically three times in the last few weeks, um, maybe, maybe the last month, but, but a couple times directly involving me. I'm not going to name names, but there's this process of weaponizing repentance and reconciliation that goes is going on among professing Christians that we really need to have a discussion about. We're going to dig into that as well. Uh, now, again, for, for $5.95 a month, you can support what we're doing. For $19.95 a month, you can join us on Thursday nights for the Bulldogmatic Bible Study, where yours truly, um, as long as I'm available, and I usually am, it, we're, we're slow walking through 2 Corinthians. Love to see you there. Um, if 1995 a month is a little too much, um, uh, just send me a message. We'll make sure, we'll make sure that you get into the Bible study anyway, but, uh, there's all sorts of other levels of, of support you can offer. Uh, the main way you can offer support is of course, just, just keep praying for the truth to come out, pray for the strength of the, the gentlemen doing the work behind the scenes, the team of, uh, troublemakers behind the scenes here that, uh, that they'll be strengthened and that they will, they will keep uh, being able to do the work of bringing polemics and discernment news and commentary and analysis to you on a regular basis, uh, including myself. That's the main way you can support us, of course. Um, yeah, let's just get to the, let, let's get to the topics. Let's get started here. Um, oh, one other thing real quick. You can also, you'll see this on protesty.com. You can subscribe to the insurgency email list, which the free version is three days a week. You get, um, articles and banned news links and all that kind of stuff um, sent directly to your inbox uh, for $7 a month. I think it's $7 a month, um, something around there. You can get it five days a week um, and now six days a week. I think we're doing a Saturday as well, which is awesome. Um, again, keep you informed of stuff that's going on out there and, and news links that mainstream media just doesn't want you to see. We want you to see them. So we put them in the insurgency email list and you can get that directly to your inbox and not have to go scouring the internet for everything that you need to know. Um, if you join us on Patreon, send me a message. I'll make sure you get on the insurgency list uh, for free. So if you're doing the math, um, you can actually save a little bit by joining on on Patreon. But I'll let you figure that one out. Uh, anyway, now to the to the uh, topics of the day. The first one, apparently, I am still uh, whether I like it or not, whether I like it or not, I am still um, I'm still Rod Martin on Twitter, uh, and. And how this happened, I'm going to pull this up and explain it. for those of you that you may not have known or, or, uh, been paying attention or, or maybe you're not on Twitter, which, you know, God bless you. That's, that seems to be quite the blessing these days to not have to be, um, among those conversations. So this, this, um, was tweeted out by, um, the real Rod Martin, the real at Rod D Martin on Twitter. And for those of you that don't know, Rod Martin, uh, founder of conservative Baptist network at the Southern Baptist convention, uh, founder, CEO, um, Martin Capital, martinorganization.com, um, part of the team that started PayPal. Uh, he's been on this show multiple times. Great guy. And I noticed this, this come across Twitter a few days ago. 
This would have been four days ago. Now, Rod tweets out, I am told that Hannah Kate Williams has posted a screenshot of alleged direct messages from me. I've never direct messaged Ms. Williams, and I certainly never wrote the reprehensible things she posted. Um, now, he's not saying that what she said was reprehensible, but the screenshots that she posted attributed to him, I think he, he, he is indicating here, were, he's uh, saying were reprehensible now for those of you that don't know and you can you by the way you can search some of this stuff on protest if you want to catch up on the history but but hannah kate williams um is a um a parent and i'm not sure one way or the other at this point honestly um sex abuse survivor that was um brought up at the 2021 annual meeting in in nashville tennessee by uh pastor grant Gaines, son of steve Gaines, brings her up to the microphone to, um, I, I would argue use as a prop to, to get the, the convention floor to vote, to impanel the sex abuse task force that produced, you know, that, that, um, commissioned guidepost, uh, solutions to produce the report that was honestly quite the nothing burger, um, that they presented before the 22, 2022 meeting. Um, you know, some of you may have seen the pictures of, of Hannah Kate Williams up there, um, escorted by Grant Gaines, who apparently she now hates, I guess, you know, she's, she's basically thrown him under the bus and said, Hey, you used me. And you know, whether that's true or not, I am not particularly interested in, um, it may or may not be true, but the, but the interesting part about this. So, so Rod tweets this out, says, Hey, there, there was some stuff, uh, that was posted of me now down in here. Um, this gentleman, Matt Schoen, I don't know who he is, but for the, for, everybody's reference this is what this is what hannah kate williams said was from rod martin she posted this screenshot um talking to krista brown the og of um uh survivor gals in the sbc um tweets replies to krista brown saying don't forget this lovely ec member and then claims that this is this is stuff that rod martin said and there's a couple screenshots of things you know that supposedly from rod martin although we noticed immediately as everybody who is properly internet skeptical should have noticed that there's no evidence, actual evidence from these screenshots that Rod Martin ever sent this. What it's got his picture, it's got his name and that's it. There's no, not even a handle in there, not even indicating it's at Rod D Martin, right? Which, which, which would normally indicate that you're talking to the real person, but again, anything can be Photoshopped. So we have like several levels of, we can't believe this at face value, but the most important piece of evidence, of course, is that Rod says he's never communicated with her. You know, it, it, it can't be him because he's never talked to her. So that's what he, he says. I have never direct messaged Hannah Kate Williams, which is a why I would argue a wise idea because Hannah Kate Williams has employed, uh, apparently I somehow is, is affording to employ this ambulance chasing lawyer here, Robert G Callahan, the second, I mean, I mean, I'm assuming this is a real person. I don't know just from Twitter, but, but he's, he has uh threatened basically like on Twitter to try to sue people. I think he's threatened to sue Bart Barber and the SBC and uh, you know, he guys like this, assuming he's a real attorney, assuming he's a real person, we're just going to assume he is. Um, But guys like this are why people hate lawyers, why people think lawyers are bad people because you know, they, they act like this sometimes. And so after, after Rod Martin says, I didn't do this. Um, I went to, well, there was a, there was a quote tweet from the, uh, the dudes at, uh, what is it called? Uh, like it used to be SBC pirates. Now it's SBC, uh, um, 
you know, platform or something like that. So they, they basically said, um, uh, here, thanks for confirming. So they, so they, they, um, they quote tweet Rod and say, Rod, are you saying the screenshot is not from you? He's saying it's not, it's not from me. Thanks for confirming. How exactly did Hannah Kate get this? That's such a dumb question. It's such a dumb question to ask somebody that says, I had nothing to do with this to somehow explain how somebody else put something on the internet. Real dumb, real dumb. And so to demonstrate how dumb they were being here, how stupid this was, how internet gullible this was, I went and changed my, um, my Twitter name, not my handle, but my Twitter name to uh, Rod D. Martin and change, you know, went and grabbed his profile picture and put it up as mine. So we're like, currently this is my profile on, on, um, on Twitter um, says I'm Rod Martin. I, I put in the, cause I wanted to be very clear here. I mean, even though it's Rod's picture and, and Rod's name here, I put actually David Morrill parody, my friend Rod for the purpose of showing how gullible people can be. And like people kept falling for it. So I would, I would reply to something or, or retweet something or whatever. And people would be like, I thought you were Rod Martin, you know, cause they, they see the name, they see the picture, they assume that it's a fair assumption, but you have to do a little bit of digging. And certainly when someone says, yo, that wasn't me. Um, you have no evidence to the contrary because a people can do what I did and change names and change pictures and all that to imitate other people, but they can also, uh, screenshot things and Photoshop things and move things around. You, some of you remember last year with uh, Meg Stoner and Julie Roy's that Meg Stoner was trying to pass off emails as if they were Julie Roy's when she'd very clearly screenshotted and, and manipulated those emails. This happens all the time on the internet. Um, and, and yet what it indicated, what it indicates is that our theological opponents, let's, let's say it generously, our theological opponents, like those that uh, at SBC, you know, pirates or SBC platform or whatever, they, they, they assume that their theological opponents are secretly evil people. And they're doing all sorts of evil, awful things behind the scenes that, that if, if they just, you know, like find the right thing, it'll be exposed for everybody to see. They, they assume this, it, it really reveals more about them than it does about, about Rod Martin or anybody else. Um, and so, I mean, it, it, like this is, this is a good example. You know, I, I put up some parody messages. You can see this on Twitter if you want to. I retweeted a, a Daryl Harrison tweet, for example. And then it was, it was pointed out to me. Um, let's see where this is. See if I can find this for you. It was, it was, it was pointed out to me. Yeah. I, I you had me confused. I'm not sure which rod is, which, I mean, this is, this is how it happens, right? This can be confusing, which is why Twitter is kind of against, they're against imitating people. It's why I put in my, in my profile, Hey, still David Morrill. It's a parody. Relax, you know, just, you know, um, but, but here, here was a good example. Um, Someone following me, uh, Mega Church Mouse following me, noted, "Hey, you can also make it look like Rod retweeted someone." I mean, this this is how easily false information can be can be spread, even within a you know a better system. Twitter's become a better system at confronting this kind of stuff. But part of the part of the uh, procedures that make them good at confronting this stuff are why I can't go back to being me just yet. So like, I'm still I'm stuck as Rod. I'm stuck as Rod for at least a little while longer until Twitter, uh, you know, can confirm that it's parody. And then I can move back to being myself, assuming they don't, I mean, maybe they'll delete my, my, maybe they'll ban me. I don't know who knows, but the point I'm trying to make here is that anybody can fake a message from anybody on Twitter. And yet, and yet instead of 
realizing this and everybody, you know, kind of turning down the volume a little bit on what's going on here. We have, um, we have these, am- this ambulance chasing lawyer, you know, we, we have this, uh, and this is, I guess this person is, is, um, employed by Hannah Kate Williams. I don't know. You know, it, it, it seems to me, it seems to me like he's trying to get attention for himself. You know, that's, that's what it seems like. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you my impression. And I mean, saying this is, this is just stupid. I mean, this is kind of dumb stuff here, right? So Rod, Rod says, Hey, it's not me. I haven't, I, I haven't direct messaged her and her lawyer. I guess this is her lawyer. It says you willing to turn over your phones and computers and say as much under oath tomorrow. Like, like, what do you think? You think Rod is stupid or something? I mean, you must, you know, or, or it's more likely you think Twitter is gullible. I think that's more, more like it since you have 38 likes on this moronic demand here. It really is moronic, right? And, and you have, you know, people who liking this, you know, th- this list of uh, uh, folks like, you know, Ukraine flags and pronouns liking this stuff and like thinking somehow that, you know, including, you know, Jay the Baptist saying, yeah, totally. You should give him his computers and stuff like that. Cause this guy totally is interested in the truth. He's not at all interested in, in suing anybody. You know, he's not chasing an ambulance at all. Like you're all a bunch of, you're all a bunch of tools and morons. If you think that this guy is somehow interested in anything other than money, it's all he's interested in, you know? And, and, and this is, I mean, he keeps, he keeps doing this, but anyway, I, I digress, but basically long story short, I'm still, uh, for the time being Rod Martin on Twitter. Now the, the this this little image here of a of a Yamaha studio monitor hopefully will give a, give it away, and and the fact that I've said it, it's it's actually me and not Rod. <laughs> so, um, moving on. So this tweet here from the Protestia account from our intrepid staff writer um, said, "When a wife is the breadwinner by temporary necessity, the loaf is delicious. When she is the sole provider by choice, it is ashes in the mouth." and People like lost it. It lost their mind, right? I mean, you run down here. It's like you're stupid, you know. Um, uh, it's deeply theologically flawed to believe God considers one partner in a marriage must be the breadwinner—a concept laughably conformed to the pattern of this world. Uh, yeah, no, it's literally backwards. Um, I know a woman with this arrangement. Her husband does a terrific job around the house. I've wondered how she feels about it. You know, hours she works, this, that, and the other. Um, you have issues. Wow, this is gross. Whatever insecurities you have, it's not her problem. Um, you know, Dennis Swanson here, the 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 man who has made his I, online identity about being former Grace Community, great former um, Master Seminary. Like that's his his claim to fame is I I used to be at Master Seminary and now I hate those guys. If if you can consider that a claim to fame. Uh, you know, dude, I know someone who was a stay at home dad by choice because he did better with the kids than his wife did. It's not your place to say how it should work. Okay. So whose place is it? Is it anybody's place? Is it a free for all? Does God's word have anything to say about this? Um, God's word has something to say about this, believe it or not. Um, first we want to start with this, this point, cause you've heard this said by a lot of people that patriarchy that, that male headship within a marriage, within a, within a, um, a husband and wife, um, you know, within the family 
is an old, outdated, outmoded idea that all ancient civilizations practice patriarchy. And now that, now that we have reached the church age, the enlightenment of the church age, patriarchy is to be done away with and true egalitarianism can now come into the marital relationship. That, that now, because we're all one in Christ Jesus, that, that men and women are basically the same and they can kind of do whatever roles they want. And God's, you know, God's original apparent design that the apostle Paul appeals to, uh, when he says, wives submit to your husbands, that that's out the window. That's, you know, that's outmoded, you know, all these ancient civilizations. The, the, in fact, they'll argue the reason Paul said this, the reason that Paul told the Ephesian church, this, um, the reason that this was noted in, in Titus and places like this, this, the, the, you know, male headship and, um, female submission within the marriage is, is because, um, Paul was just playing to the, the desires of the age. He was playing to the culture that he was in. That was something that appeared that applied to that culture because it was, it was already patriarchal. That's all they really wanted then anyway. But you know, really what he wanted to say and just couldn't because the culture was holding him down, I guess, was that men and women are just 100% equal in, in role and, and, and men and women are supposed to do all the same things in the church, all the same things in the family. Um, this is the argument that you hear. And yet, historically speaking, um, the tenets of feminism, of um, gender you know, egalitarianism in, ter- in terms of role and design and purpose and all that, um, androgyny, this, this sort of like gender bending and, and, and melding all human beings into one thing. And you can, you can traverse being male, female. These were all ideas that were pretty popular in the day. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, Assyrian mythology, you know, um, uh, ancient Babylon teaching these ideas. This was part of their culture. Believe it or not, the, the, the tenets of feminism as it exists now, a lot of these, a lot of these gender erasing, sort of concepts we're dealing with are not new. They're very old. Um, you know, Greek Gnosticism pushed this idea because the flesh in not to a Gnostic, everything that's of the flesh is bad. Everything of the spirit is good. Um, the, the, the realities of gender were thought to be part of the flesh. They're part, part of the flesh that you, um, are inherently bad. So if we can wipe those things away, we can wipe the, the physical reality, the connection between our spiritual nature and our physical nature, if we can wipe that away, that's a good thing. This, this is what Gnosticism would generally teach within the Greek world. Um, and, and I mean, Roman culture, very, very open about you sort of, you know, wiping away gender roles and things that, that, that is, that's the system that Paul was speaking into as he speaks to the, the, the church in Ephesus, as he speaks to the church in Corinth, as he speaks to the church in, um, um, really, you know, really any of the churches in that area, um, he's actually preaching a countercultural idea when he says wives submit to your husbands, that this is the order God set up. He goes back to Genesis to say, this is what God set up. So you need to put away these ideas that the world is pushing on you. You, you need to put away these pagan ideas of wiping away gender roles and submit to your creator and how he created you. That is how um, how your growth will occur. This is how thriving will occur within, within the church. Um, very countercultural message. And so in that light, he, this is reemphasized over and over that the, the reality of, um, the husband and wife relationship and how God designed it to work. And so when we, when we look at something like this, where it's, you know, the, the claim is, well, I'm the breadwinner. My husband is our children's caretaker. And that's like, somehow that's okay. Um, and of course, you know, Christian men and Christian women 
like, wait a minute, that's not what we've been taught biblically. That's not what we understand to be um, the proper design for Christian marriage. Well, there's scripture to appeal to with this. So, you know, the, the tweet here that says when a wife is breadwinner by temporary necessity, it's a loaf. The loaf is delicious. Like, you know, yeah, it's, it's, is, is it a sin if she works outside the house? No, it's not a sin. My wife's worked outside the house. Um, in fact, in, you know, Proverbs, I don't have the passage pulled up, but there is a proverb, I, I want to say 30 or 31 that talks about, um, that, that the godly wife or the wife that is, that is a joy and a gift to the husband, um, can work outside the house as well. But she also like the house is her, is her domain. It's her zone. It's, it's, it's what she is. She's called to, um, um, to, to build and, and maintain and, uh, minister within that context. And so, uh, let's bring the, some scripture to bear on this. Uh, I have a couple passages pulled up first one here. Um, well, let's, 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 let's talk to husbands first. So this is, uh, first Timothy five, three. And, um, uh, Paul's writing honor, um, honor widows who are truly widows. He writes honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. See, she who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Now, notice what he says here first. On our widows who are truly widows. This implies, hey, there are widows who are not truly widows in the sense that you um, are required to provide for them, take care of them. That's what it means, honor widows. It's not like throw them a pizza party every Sunday, honor them, you know, bring them up on Sunday and, and give them a rah-rah. No, it's, it's, it's care for them. Um, that's why in verse four, he says, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Um, she who is truly a widow left all alone, uh, has set her hope on God continues in supplications. She was self-indulgent. Self-indulgent is dead. Even while she lives command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. Um, now verse eight, and this is the verse, you know, that's kind of the, the, the telling verse for the topic that we're on. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially, especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So, we see, we, we see automatically here. I mean, Paul is, Paul is describing verse eight here is a response, you know, or, or a, a corollary or an opposite of verse four. So verse four, he says, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household. So it's, it's saying, Hey, if this widow's got children or grandchildren, they should be, they should take care of her. If she's a real widow, you know, we're, we're talking about an older woman, uh, likely not to be remarried, likely not to have, um, a husband anymore to care for her, um, as the, as the provider, um, she should be looking to her own family members to take care of her first and foremost. The church should be the second option. Um, and we, then we see that in first verse eight, as he says, Hey, because I've said this, because I've said widows are going to look to their own families for care. If that's you, if that's you and you are unwilling to provide for 
say your mother or your grandmother or something as a widow, um, you're denying the faith worse than an unbeliever. Even the unbelievers know that they're supposed to take care of their family members. Um, and, and this is specifically talking about, um, uh, heads of households here. This is talking to fathers. This is talking to husbands. You know, maybe not, maybe you know, they have kids yet, but their husbands, this is speaking to them. If you do not provide for, if he does not provide, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household. So again, we're seeing the, 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 uh, husband as head of the household, he has denied the faith and worse than unbelievers. So what does, does this mean that, um, a husband whose, whose wife works outside the house is not providing for his relatives? Not necessarily, not necessarily. We're not going to make a law where there is no law, but this definitely indicates that there is a providing role for husbands. There's a providing role for men. This needs to be there. This needs to be one of their focuses. One of their responsibilities is to make sure that there is provision for their household. This is not, this isn't a controversial idea particularly. And, and you know that it's not a controversial idea because if you violate it, if you're not, you're, you're a husband, you're a man not providing for your household, not able to, um, or unwilling to provide for your family members, you're worse than an unbeliever. Even the unbelievers know, even the unbelievers know this is what you're supposed to do. We see this reiterated um, again in, if we go over to Titus, Titus here, um, Titus chapter two says, starts, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded. Now, that, again, this is Paul saying, hey, this is how the church will be. Don't, I don't care what you heard outside. I don't care what, what the culture taught you. I don't care that um, you know, Babylonian uh, uh, mythology and culture and all this taught you one thing, or Roman culture taught you another thing. This is what we do as Christians within the church. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, um, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, be, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. So you see here, when, 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 uh, when we're talking about older women, they're teaching younger women. What are they teaching younger women? So they're supposed to be examples to these younger women, but also, I mean, they, they can directly teach them as well, obviously, but because the, the younger woman, if she has a husband and, and, and kids and all this kind of thing, uh, that the husband is very much involved in her, uh, in her spiritual growth, the same way she's involved in his spiritual growth. And yet how do, how do older women teach them? Well, by example, they say, Hey, you know, be reverent in behavior. Don't slander. You're not slaves to much wine. You teach what is good. Um, train young women by example, show them what it's, what it looks like to be a Christian wife. Um, teach, teach these young women, love your husbands and children. So there's a focus on loving husbands and children right here. You know, Paul's saying a older women teach the younger women that home and hearth should be a focus, should be a primary focus, the primary focus in terms of provision for your family. Um, teach them to be self-controlled, pure working at home. Here we see it again, working at home. The, the home is the, the, the purview is the jurisdiction is the responsibility of the wife. And so when, when we, when we look at those on the internet that claim to be believers 
and yet they throw things out there like it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter if 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 I mean if the husband is he's the caretaker, he's the one in charge of home and hearth and she's off working and 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 all this kind of thing. Um it does matter. The Bible speaks to this specifically. It's not it's in you know you would have to wrestle with these passages and of course the people that argue this, the people that are you know, getting on our case or something for pointing out what the Bible very clearly says would have to wrestle with these passages and of course they won't do that. They'll, or they'll say something dumb, something real dumb and disproven like, well, you know the culture back then was super patriarchal. So that's all all Paul was doing was sort of trying to fit the church into the culture. Why do they say that? Well, because that's what they that's what so many evangelicals do now. So many evangelicals now expect the church to be sort of like a Jesus flavored version of the culture. You know, like like a little safe space where we can still enjoy all the worldly things we want and the cultural things we want and and kind of do things our own way, just like the culture tells us we can, except in the safe space of the church. So we can still have the fellowship and all this that we, that we like in the church and all the all the spiritual benefits, but still go out to the world, bring the stuff in from the world that we want to be in the church. That that is it's that is so characteristic characteristic of modern evangelicalism that, that that's why these these people can unironically say on social media um it's no big deal you know it, like like you know that's an old an old school thing that they were teaching back then but now we're enlightened and we've really figured out what the bible actually says it's like the bible says very specifically that this is how um christian households are supposed to look how it is to you know what it looks like to be a godly husband what it looks like to be a godly wife so if we go back to that original uh, um, statement there, you know, when a wife is a bre- breadwinner by temporary necessity, the loaf is delicious. That means this is a blessing. If you're, if, if your wife has to step up and, 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 and I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen in my own family where for a season, the wife steps up and she, she becomes the, the breadwinner. You know, I, I'm not really taking issue with that. As long as the husband is still knows that he's charged with that responsibility, that primary responsibility of caretaking for his family and providing. This is very clear biblically, um, you know, and, and when you, when we reverse it, when we say something like I'm the breadwinner, my husband is our children's caretaker. Like that's some, like that is some sort of laudable arrangement that's praiseworthy. It's not, it's not. I mean, if that's a temporary situation, um, fine, but you should be actively working to remedy that. This is not a good thing. It is not a good thing for the mother of the children to be away from them doing her thing and, and working and all that. And, and, and maybe in this case, she's not away from the children, working at home, something, whatever. But it's not okay to say part of how this started was basically this idea that, well, if 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 she has to go uh, do jury duty or something like that, they'll have no income. And we're like, what is your husband doing? What is he doing? Except very, very clearly violating what scripture has taught him, supposedly has taught him to do. If he's a Christian husband, he should be horrified that the whole internet knows he's not working, that he's not providing in any sort of material way that, that he, his provision is, you know, basically being the wife and managing the household and all this, that, that should eat him up. And maybe it does. I don't know. Maybe it does eat him up, but I certainly would be, I would be ashamed. I would be embarrassed. I suppose if my wife was all over the internet telling everybody within Christian conversations, Hey, by the way, my husband doesn't work. He doesn't provide for his family in, 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 in any material way. Like he's, he's, you know, he's cooking and cleaning and, 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 you know, maintaining the home while I go earn the paycheck. I, I would be horrified by that. 
And not because, like I said, my wife works. She works right now. But she's not the primary breadwinner. Even if she was the primary breadwinner, I, you know, I, I would still be working and providing for the family and providing leadership and, and direction and things like that. Um, yeah, so, so, I mean, our statement, when she is the sole provider by choice, it is ashes in the mouth. Yeah, it absolutely is. Because what you're saying is your husband has no, no inclination to actually obey what scripture tells him to do. That doesn't matter. You're novel. You decide you, you, you want to do it your own way. God says this, but you want to do it your own way. That is ashes in the mouth and it, it's shameful and it, it, it should be repent. I mean, assuming we're talking about a Christian marriage here, it should be repented of, um, and, and remedied as soon as possible, as soon as possible. Kids are designed, younger kids are designed to have their mother be their primary caretaker. This is not, this, this is not controversial. This is biblical Christianity. This is biblical, um, anthropology. This is how we understand God set up, um, marriages. So moving on, we got a little bit more time left here. Um, this, this whole issue of weaponizing forgiveness, weaponizing reconciliation, this has happened now three times in the last, let's say month or so. And let me explain how this goes. And perhaps you can see some of this in your own life, your own situations. Um, here, here's how the recipe goes. You, um, a, a, a person offends somebody or sins against them in some way and, and not a major way, not, not, you know, they didn't murder somebody or, um, you know, rob a bank or something like this, but they said something you didn't like. Or, or said something another believer didn't like, or, or even said something that was false about another believer. You know, they, they, they sinned. I mean, officially sinned here, biblically speaking, biblically defined, they sinned and they are contrite. They apologize. They confess their sin to this person. They seek forgiveness from this other believer and say, will you forgive me for this? I wronged you. Um, and the other believer comes back with something like, well, um, in order for us to achieve full reconciliation, as brothers, as, as fellow believers here. Um, I, like, I appreciate you've brought this to me, but I also have an issue with this, 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 and this, and I'm, you know, forgiveness and reconciliation pursuant to the sin you've confessed is off the table until you also agree with me on all of this other stuff. And before, un unless you do that, you are not forgiven for this sin. We will not be reconciled on this. I will not be forgetting about it. Um, instead I will hold that back until you do everything I want you to do. This is, I, I can't believe how common this has become in modern evangelical conversations in, in modern evangelicalism, this idea that, um, you know, yes, you, you've confessed one sin. You've confessed this specific sin to me. Um, you are committed to repenting of it. You're, you're, have asked for forgiveness. And yet I will withhold that because there's other stuff that I'm calling sin, um, that we haven't dealt with. And so we can't be reconciled. I can't forgive you for this until you do this other stuff. Um, they're basically, I don't want to get specific about this because I really don't think the people involved are the point, but let's just say this, this issue has come up with uh, in a conversation of mine with an, uh, a church elder uh, recently, this, this exact issue has come up with a, uh, a pastor friend of mine uh, versus a church. This has come up 
with a another pastor and me and the gentleman here at Protestia, this this idea that um I don't have to that, that Christians somehow don't need to specifically identify and deal with sin, but it can just be like, uh, well, you guys know what you did. You know, you know who you know the kind of guys you are and what you did, and so that's out there. And unless unless you offer some sort of blanket apology and repentance for something, uh, well, you're not forgiven for something that and and the funny thing is in some cases it's asking for you know, these people are asking for forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation for things we didn't even do that's the crazy part and so like with everything we we have to go to the bible to figure out you know kind of you know take this apart and figure out what's gone wrong and see my my claim is that this what's gone wrong is that the evangelical conscience has been so um damaged and seared by postmodern relativism and uh, ideas like collectivism and critical theory that we don't even know how to um, biblically, judicially deal with sin among the brethren. We can't even, we're unable to do it anymore because it's, it's, we, we, we're mixing categories of directly identifying sin versus, um, just characterizing someone as a sinner for that reason. And, and, um, our emotions are so involved in it that they become the arbiters. They become the arbiters of what's sinful. And therefore they become the arbiters of, uh, what reconciliation and repentance really look like. And so it it starts with one thing. Let's, let's go, um, to start this conversation. Let's, let's head over to, we're, we're all pretty familiar with it. This with, at this point, but this is Matthew 18. This is, um, kind of the, the process and the, um, the framework for church discipline, but it's also the process and framework for dealing with sin among individual believers. Well, we use it for church discipline because Jesus talked about bringing it to the church when someone is in unrepentant sin, but it also applies to an individual situation. So Matthew 18, 15, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So the first thing that happens, and I'm going to, I'm going to explain by the way, how this applies to something like, you know, internet or calling out false teachers or things. We'll, we'll go over that, but we'll start with here. If your brother listens to you, you have gained your brother. So what does it mean? You've gained your brother. Well, that, that means that, that if you go say, Hey, you know, brother, you've sinned against me here. And he says, you know what? You're right. I have sinned against you. Now, now we're assuming at, at, at this point that he he may know he sinned against you. He may not know he sinned against you. That's possible. It's possible that you can sin against someone, not realize what you've done until it's brought to you. We're all human beings, right? We we're not omniscient, and sometimes we sin and make mistakes. We don't even realize in that in that moment that we've done something. So your brother comes to you and says, "Hey, you've sinned against me," and you say, "Oh, I agree. Yeah, I, I have sinned against you. I'm I'm sorry." Um, you know, I, I, I'm repent, repenting of that. I'm going to turn from that. I recognize that it's sin. I, I will, you know, endeavor, try my best. You know, I know I'm re- still wrestling with the flesh, but try my best to not do that anymore. Will you forgive me? That's you want, you've gained your brother. That's reconciliation. That's you, you've reconciled that sin is no longer, um, affecting the relationship between you. That's how it's supposed to happen. Our model of course is reconciliation to God by the, by, um, um, Jesus Christ by the, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And by the way, I totally skipped to the beginning of this podcast. I totally skipped the gospel message. We will get to it. 
Um, we always talk about the gospel on this and I, I blew right by it at the beginning cause I was getting into the topics. We will get to it. Um, but anyway, so he, he, he listens to you. He agrees. Um, sin reconciliation then happens. You, you are as a Christian, um, to forget that sin. You're supposed to follow the example of Jesus and, and forgive him. You're actually required biblically to forgive your brother in this case. Right? So, if, but if he doesn't listen to you, if he says, Hey, that's not sin. I have a disagreement here. One of two things, either I don't care that I've sinned, which is a pretty big thing, or most commonly, and this is more common, I I don't think that's sin. That needs to be, you know, I I disagree that that's sin. Well, then then the next step would occur. And it is possible, by the way, he says, I don't agree that's sin. And you say, actually, now that you mention it, now that you you mention it, that actually isn't sin. So, I, I, I mean, I retract. I don't think you sinned against me. Um. And, and again, reconciliation then occurs, but let's just say you still disagree. He says, you sinned against me. You say, I haven't sinned against you. That's not sin. Um, then what do you do? Well, then verse, verse 16, but if he does not listen or, you know, I would argue if he doesn't agree, he doesn't think that think you're correct about this, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So every charge, so this can be a more complicated situation. There can be multiple, Hey, you send here, you send here, you send here. And <clears throat> excuse me. And, and so you're going to bring other believers along to fi- help you figure this out. Did he really sin against you or not? Or you see here by, by the example that every charge, there can be multiple charges. It can even be a believer saying, well, okay, that one's sin, but this one is not sin. You know, this is a sin biblically. We can actually determine he sinned against you here, but this one over here—it's just you getting your feelings hurt. You didn't actually sin against you there. Let's set that aside. It's not true, right? This—this this is the process. We—we we determine with an open Bible what's sin and what isn't sin, right? Assuming that um, that sin has been you know, like like the witnesses here have said yes, this is sin, and the sinner is saying like I still don't agree. I still think you're all, you, you know, you guys are, are wrong about this. I still haven't sinned here. I'm not willing to repent. I'm not willing to apologize for something I didn't do. What, whatever that case is, then you can tell it to the church at that point. Now, it says in verse 17, if he refuses to listen to even the church, refuses to listen even to the church, then um, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector, right? So you're, now the church is going to figure is going to make this decision as well, and yeah, that that might that might involve elders leading that process or something. But this is a corporate a corporate step here at this point, and we're going to assume that if you've gone through step one and step two, and it still is is the issue that it is, we're talking about a major issue here. Um, but if it gets to the church, they they also establish, hey, you're still sinning here. This is still a sin, and you need to repent you know, and for pride or selfishness or whatever, you're not doing it. Then for the, for the sake of that person, that believer, that professed believer, they're now put out of fellowship. And the idea is that we as a church very clearly have identified that this is sin. And the fact that you can't see that or are unwilling to actually repent and uh, be contrite and, you know, work towards reconciliation, that, that, means that you're, I mean, that's exactly what an unbeliever would do. And so you, you do, you no longer get the benefits of the church community. Um, you, you need to be told with one voice, no matter who you talk to that, yeah, you're still in sin here and we will welcome you back. We will welcome you back if, um, if, and when you repent of this. 
But the problem that we run, run into with these, these folks that, that weaponize it is they don't even start with, with step one or step two. So they, they'll, they'll accuse a brother uh, or sister of sinning against them. And when you call them out, okay, you're saying I'm sinning here. What's the sin? Well, uh, well, you know. Well, you know what you do. Or in like the case of Protestia, they'll say, your organization needs to repent. Your organization needs to, needs, to, needs to apologize for blah, 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 blah. And it's like, there are individuals here. That's why we don't do anonymous accounts. Because an organization, a website, a ministry can't repent of something. This isn't, collective repentance is not a thing, actually. Individual repentance is a thing. An organization can't change its mind, but, a, but an individual can. An individual can change their mind um, and, and choose not to continue sinning and to follow God's, God's ways on something. That's what repentance, the word means a, ch- a change of mind. In the Christian context, it's a change of mind that will follow, be followed by true practice and true obedience and true following of, of you know, not the sinful way, but, the, but God's way. Um, but in the, these, these folks that do this, they, they disconnect from the judicial application of scripture and they, they, they find it, it's not important if they actually identify the sin anymore. Um, only that you're a sinner. You're that kind of person. You're the person that does this stuff and you'll, you'll see these generalities all the time. And when you press them for specifics, they'll use that as additional evidence of your supposed sin. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about this? Um, let's, let's, let's take a look at, um, actually, I'm gonna, we're running out of time, so I'm going to skip forward a little bit. Um, let's look at recon- what reconciliation is first through, um, through the example of us being reconciled to God. This is Romans 5.10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? So very clearly, biblically, reconciliation to God happens through Jesus Christ, happens through his work and his death on the cross. Um, and reconciliation is the, the, the repairing of that relationship, the, the, the fact that that relationship now is open. Uh, we are reconciled to the Father. We, our relationship with him is no longer broken, no longer cut off. And, um, and that reconciliation, in that that reconciliation, then we would want to apply to our our situation as brethren as well. So if a brother comes to you and says, "I've sinned against you. I apologize. I'm sorry. I did that. Uh, will will you forgive me? Ask for your forgiveness." You are mandated, and and biblically speaking, biblically speaking here, this is Ephesians four thirty two. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So just like God uh, repairs that relationship, that relationship is reconciled because of Christ, because in Christ God forgave you, we forgive one another and we reconcile our relationships as well. Right? This, this, is, not, this is not too complicated of a process. That being said, it's not super easy either sometimes. Um, if we go to, um, where is there verse here? I'm on, this is, this is Colossians 3.13, it's the same idea. Same idea here. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. So Lord has for, so Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So again, we're seeing here 
um, an indication that as brethren in Christ, as, as brothers in Christ, if we have a complaint, we have a beef with one another, we have a problem, um, we forgive. We forgive and and we reconcile that relationship. But what we see, unfortunately, with a lot of professing Christians is, um, yeah, I know that you've apologized for this and, you've re- and, and you're repenting of this and, and you're asking for forgiveness. And yet I have all of these other problems with you over here um, that I don't even necessarily have to say are sin in and of themselves in order for this to not allow this relationship to repair. That, that is, a, it's a big, a, a big problem that I see in, in evangelicalism, especially on the internet, because so many, so many, uh, professing Christians interact with one another with no practical way to actually exercise full church discipline. Yet the general equity or the general principles of this still hold. And the first principle is identify the sin. If you're going to accuse somebody of sin, if you're going to refuse reconciliation uh, with, with a brother in Christ um, over, a, over, I guess, what would be a continued sin, you owe it to them to identify what that sin is. And this is the problem with the, the postmodern subjective infiltration into Christianity. Um, these days, getting your feelings hurt, feeling a certain way, is as judicially applicable as what Scripture says. We see this all the time. Someone says, you know, I really don't like that you said that about me. Okay. Have I sinned? Well, I don't like it. So it must be sin. No. Is what I said about you true? Because if it's false, then I've borne false witness. That's a sin. But if it's like, I I said something true, I've proclaimed something true and you just don't like it. It hurt your feelings. That's not, that's not a, a sin. That's not sin in and of itself. And, and some folks might argue, well, that puts a stumbling block in front of me. Um, yeah, a stumbling block in front of a, a brother in Christ um, is you exercising your Christian liberty in a way that, that, makes it in, in court, that makes it more likely for them to sin. But for that, you have to actually know, they actually have to tell you, hey, you know, alcohol is a problem for me. Don't drink around me. And you do it anyway. This isn't talking about you said something true that I didn't like. Therefore, I'm stumbling in my faith and that's your fault. No. The truth is not, proclaiming things true is not a stumbling block in that sense. Um, and yet, folks will throw that one out too. But it is imperative that you identify the sin because otherwise you can't actually apply discipline between brothers. Um, and it is imperative that we properly understand our obligation to forgive. And another component to this, that, I mean, this just drives me up a wall, is collective sin, collective repentance is not a thing. It's not a thing, biblically speaking. If your brother sins, Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, not if your faceless, nameless, personless organization sinned against me. Because guess what? There was someone in that organization that actually did the sin. If it's a true sin, there's someone responsible for that sin. So don't you, you come to come to groups or websites you know like like ours and say you guys all you need to ask for forgiveness and and really repent of what the organization has done. I can't do that. I am unable to and and frankly it's a sin for me to claim that I have the ability to repent for someone else's sins or ask forgiveness for someone else's sins. Like you have a biblical obligation to take it to that person if you want that, but what you what you are not allowed to do is accuse me of sinning because I won't take on their sins. There was only one man ever that could actually um, take on responsibility or take on a punishment for other people's sins. 
Jesus Christ. We're not able to do that. Um, I'm going to talk about this more in the PT VIP, uh, including some, some more specifics. I didn't think that was appropriate for the freeloader side. And yet I wanted to talk about it a little bit. Um, we may continue. I'm in you know, I always say this, but I think I'm going to put up an article about this one just to really parse it more specifically and biblically, this problem that we have with the weaponization of, of, of reconciliation. Um, yeah, we'll, con- we'll continue to talk about it on the, the PT, uh, VIP as well. I want to thank, uh, everybody for being here. Oh, before, before we, uh, close it out, you, you've heard me allude to it as we talking about these topics, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is, um, our, our way to be reconciled to God for the broken relationship caused by our sin. So you and I and, and everybody born except for Jesus himself was born with original sin. Um, even if we weren't, we would have sinned. Um, and, and therefore we're culpable for that. And, and the punishment for our sin is eternal punishment and separation from God. It's a very serious, um, consequence. It's very bad news apart from Jesus Christ. But fortunately by the love of God, he sent his son, Jesus Christ to die in our place to pay that price instead of us. And so we place our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation, repent of our sins, um, turn to Christ as Lord of our lives. Um, and, and, uh, salvation is a, is a promise. Um, Jesus lived a perfect life. He was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, earning righteousness on our behalf that we had no ability to earn clearly, obviously died a death on the cross that, that we deserved. He died a death on the cross. He did not deserve to pay the price for our sins. He took upon himself, um, um, the sins of the world as scripture says, um, and died on that cross, was buried, raised on the third day by the power of the Holy Spirit, back to life. He resurrected, raised from the dead, conquering death, proving his sacrifice was accepted, um, and seen by many, many witnesses, ascended to the Father, and now sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for us. And salvation is a, it, like I said, it's a free gift. It's, a free, it's free to us. It cost Jesus his life. It cost him everything. Um, and yet, he is God, and the only the only person, Jesus was incarnated, so he was fully God and fully man, but the only person capable of actually atoning for the sins of the world by sacrificing himself. Um, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you, if you place your faith, hope, and trust in Christ, you can be saved. Eternal life is yours. Uh, you, your relationship with the Father, with God, can be reconciled. If you have questions about that, please reach out to us. I want to thank everybody for being here. <clears throat> For the freeloader portion of Protestia tonight, if you are a patron, stay tuned for the rest of the program here. I'm not sure if it'll just be audio only or if I put a video on uh, Patreon, but look for the post on Patreon to see it. You'll see it there. For those of you that aren't, we would love for you to join us. Patreon.com forward slash Protestia, $5.95 a month, couple cups of coffee. You can support us on a financial level. Thank you so much for listening in. Let me know if you have questions. We'll talk to you soon. As always, Semper Reformata.